0: Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper, and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that, though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. I decided to switch it up a little bit this week and not do an interview. Not because I don't love them, I do, but I just felt like doing something a little bit different. If you know me, you know that I love variety, and so keeping things the same for too long, it makes me a little bored, and if I'm bored, you're gonna be bored listening to this. So this week I'm going solo, but do not worry, we have some more great interviews coming up in the weeks to come. I've got two on deck that are already recorded, and at least another three interviews scheduled. So The next couple months will be chock full of great interviews with really fascinating people. I'm excited about that. And I'll speak more about that at the end of this podcast. But this week, I want to talk about what it means to hold tension, either for yourself, for your family, or for an organization that you're part of. This came up because someone asked me if I had any advice on how to help an organization hold tension. And so I got to thinking, yeah. Actually, I do, and you know what? It would make a pretty good podcast episode. So, here we are. Um, And I also wrote in my blog this week about what it means to appreciate the journey rather than the destination. And this notion of appreciating the journey instead of the destination goes hand-in-hand with holding tension. Uh, The two are actually married. Uh, And if you have not checked out my blog yet but you're interested, you can find it at B J Tapper. Dot WordPress.com. That's b j t a p p e r. .wordpress.com uh, Feel free to check it out if you're interested. Uh, but again, I, I wrote this week about what it means to appreciate and learn from the journey rather than trying to rush through and find the destination. And to make a long story short, the central point that I was trying to make in my writing is that I find that I get caught up in searching for answers to the questions that I hold in my life. And I get so high strung about seeking these answers out that I forget that most of my learning happens in the space between the question and the answer. That space for me is filled with discomfort, tension, and unease, but it's also rich. And so when I rush through it, I miss out on a lot of great learning and a lot of potential growth that can happen in my life. And I think I rushed through it because I'm trying to be comfortable, right? Most of us seek homeostasis or we seek a space of comfort and security in our lives. And comfort has its place, but when we prioritize comfort over everything else, when we make it our God above even personal growth, then we miss out on opportunities to become our fullest, most actualized selves and to live into our greatest potential. And... I think that's what I do when I try to rush through those uncomfortable and tenuous spaces. And so I want to talk some about that and connect what I wrote in the blog to this week's topic for the podcast. What does it mean to hold tension in your life or for your community? And as always, I want to introduce this topic with A story from my life with a narrative. I believe narrative is a powerful tool and I like to use it whenever I can to connect the dots between my thinking, my feeling, and the points that I'm trying to make. So I'll start with some narrative and the narrative that I'm going to share this week is about my own spiritual journey. I've been associated with a church in some way, shape, or form since I was nine years old. I had my first encounter with God in a gymnasium-turned sanctuary in South Bend, Indiana, and since then, God and the church have been regular parts of my life. Once I was placed into foster care in the late winter of 1997, I started attending a church in Northwest Indiana called South Lake Worship Center. And by today's standards, we would consider this church evangelical and possibly even fundamentalist, but I'm not quite certain about that label. They were definitely evangelical, though. It was a Pentecostal church, and it still is. I shouldn't say was. It is a Pentecostal church. And it ended up being a second home for me for much of my adolescence. It was a place that I felt deeply loved, a place that I was able to connect with God and to grow and to heal. It was a place that allowed me to get in touch with what it meant to be a spiritual person. And for that, I am eternally thankful. As most of you know or have heard, though, as I've shared my story, or maybe you've heard other people that grew up in evangelical contexts share their story, there came a time for me when I had to start questioning the beliefs that I grew up with. And that time happened later for me than it does for most people, which looking at my life is a bit surprising. Anyone that knows me knows that I tend to question virtually everything in my life. And so the fact that I went as long as I did without asking some basic and fundamentally critical questions about my belief system is a bit shocking. But for whatever reason, I didn't actually start critically questioning what I believed until I got to college. I was so on fire for my faith and it was such a huge part of my life that when I got to college I used electives to take courses on the study of Christianity. I thought it'd be a great idea to just know more about the history of the faith that I was a part of. The trouble is, the more I studied and the more I learned, the less I liked what I was hearing. For instance, at one point early on in my second or third semester of college, I learned that some of the beliefs that I held weren't necessarily divinely inspired or God-given. I learned rather that I held them because some bishop a few thousand miles away had used political coercion to force agreement on a certain set of beliefs and force others to decry another set of beliefs for political purposes and the beliefs that this bishop believed in and was able to force upon others are the ones that were carried down and passed along in the church. They're the ones that became mainstream. And so I reached this point where I'm like, shit, if that's true, how do I figure out what I really believe? How do I figure out what is true for me? How do I figure out which principles are going to actually govern my life? And it created this Well, rather, it created the beginnings of a crisis for me, a crisis of faith, but even deeper than that, a crisis of identity. Because my faith was such an integral part of who I was, I wasn't just asking what I could believe, but I was also asking what I could trust and who I was, in some sense. So anyway, I started this process at the end of my first or the beginning of my second year of college. And it continued for quite some time. I went from just questioning what was considered heresy versus gospel truth to unpacking my beliefs about whether homosexuality was right or wrong or whether or not premarital sex was right or wrong or trying to discern the relationship between the American church and militarism and capitalism. I mean, I was unpacking everything all at once, my political beliefs, my religious beliefs, my personal beliefs, everything, because when Ben Tapper does something, he goes big. So I had this existential sort of crisis come up unexpectedly for me, and it created this tearing down of belief, this tearing down of ideology, this tearing down of identity, and this major deconstruction work. And so this lasted several years for me, and uh, I got to a point where I couldn't sit through a church service without either wrestling with the theology or hating the music, right? It was either one or the other. I couldn't find a church that gave me music, that connected with me emotionally, and a theology that resonated with me mentally. There was always this dissonance in whatever church service that I was in. And so I continued to wrestle. I, I, I debunked most of what I believed. But I wasn't willing to throw away one basic tenet, and that basic tenet was that I believed God existed. If nothing else, I was going to believe that because I had had personal, physical experiences with God. So that's the one belief that I was determined to hold on to. So this deconstruction continued through college and into my first year post-undergrad. I moved down to Indianapolis to take a job, and I spent six to eight months looking for a church community down here, but I kept running into the same familiar tension. I had to choose good music or sound teaching, and I could never find a community that gave me both. Until shortly after I was married, a good friend of mine came up to me, and he said that he had found a church that both he and his wife liked, and that meant something to me because I knew that Bumi came from a charismatic African tradition that bore some similarity to the church that I grew up in, and his wife grew up as a Mennonite. And so if they found a congregation that worked for both of them, even though they came from two very different traditions, then maybe it could work for me. But if I'm being honest, that isn't actually what convinced me to visit his church. See, Bumi is a wise man, and he knows me well, and so after he told me he'd found a church that both he and his wife appreciated— He also told me that one of the unique things about this church is that after the sermon, you get a chance to respond and argue with the pastor. That is what had me hooked. I'm like, oh, you mean I get to offer feedback? I get to debate what the pastor said? I bet I'm there. So I decided to visit. The Sunday that I visited, the pastor spoke about the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And for the first time in what felt like at least two to three years, I was able to sit through a sermon without disagreeing with the theology. And it became this refreshing space in which I could just receive the words that were being taught. And I felt refilled, I felt recharged, I felt energized in a way that I hadn't felt in years. And I knew that I had to come back. So I came back and I brought my wife Brooke with me. and. As we continued to attend, we noticed that the church was having discussions about what it meant to be welcoming to people of different races and ethnicities. And they were having discussions about whether or not they were going to be an open and affirming church for members of the LGBTQ community. And those were discussions I had never heard in a church before. And so my wife and I were fascinated and we continued to attend. And long story short, we ended up working with a youth group and And for those of you that don't know, once a church gets you to agree to volunteer with their youth group, you're basically signing a three-year commitment minimum. Uh, And so once we were in with the youth group, we were basically hooked. Um, But even still, my deconstruction continued. I didn't have all my questions answered. I had just found a space that I could bring the questions into safely. So I continued to wrestle, and I continued to churn these questions over and over and over again seeking answers seeking clarity and honestly seeking comfort in fact i reached a point of critical mass where i just didn't want to wrestle anymore i had done a lot of thinking and this final belief this belief in the existence of god that i was holding on to i'd come to a point that i was ready to even let that go As I played around with the idea of naming myself as an atheist, I felt a sense of release come over me. Just being able to say those words, I am an atheist, gave me the freedom to rely on my intellect above all else. It gave me the freedom to release the questions and to just have the comfort that comes with finality. I was closing the book on this chapter of my life, this deconstruction, and atheism gave me the freedom to do that. So I set up a meeting with my pastor to share my decision with her. I'm not sure what I was expecting her to say, but I can assure you I was surprised by her response. See, every other discussion she and I had had, she'd held space for me. She had affirmed me and just really listened. And so I think I expected more of the same. And so as I explained what I was feeling to my pastor, she let me talk And once I got to the point where I said I was an atheist, she looked at me and inhaled deeply before saying what she had to say. She didn't rebuke me or correct me or tell me I was wrong. Instead, she made an observation and asked a question. She said, Ben, I think you're tired. You are finishing up a master's degree. You are fairly newly married, trying to navigate your career and vocation, you just have a lot going on. And on top of all that, you're wrestling with these deep questions about your faith, and I think you're just tired of wrestling. So what I'm going to invite you to do is just hit pause. Give yourself the freedom to not have an answer right now, to not make a definitive decision. Give yourself space to just let the questions be there let them remain unanswered, and just be. Now, that didn't sit too incredibly comfortably with me because I'm not someone that likes to just let questions sit. I want answers, and I want them now. But there was some wisdom in what she said, and in fact, I did feel tired, but I hadn't recognized it until she said those words. I was exhausted, exhausted from six years of deconstructing my faith exhausted from trying to balance everything being a good husband being a good student recognizing and answering questions about my deep identity I was I was exhausted so hearing her name that brought that reality the reality of my exhaustion to the surface and to the forefront of my attention and so against my better judgment I agreed that I would take time and just hit pause And I would genuinely table the deep questions I was holding. And I did. And I am incredibly thankful that I did that. Because that tabling freed up mental and emotional and spiritual space for me to take the next steps of my journey. And those next steps were to attend seminary and to take a part-time job at my church. Both of which ended up being life-changing, and deeply formative experiences for me. And ultimately, I moved away from agnosticism and atheism and found a Christianity that felt more authentically true to my lived experience. Moreover, I have now started to discover a mystic sort of spirituality that feels even more authentic to who I am and how I am called to exist in this world. And so that invitation that my pastor gave me in the Steak and Shake restaurant. Is restaurant too strong of a term to use for Steak and Shake? I feel like it might be. Um, In the Steak and Shake establishment, that question that she asked me if I'd be willing to hold space and to hit pause on my searching ended up being low-key, life-changing, and incredibly powerful. And it required me to be willing to hold tension. It required me to be willing to appreciate the space between the question and the answer. And leaning into and embracing that space also helped me lean into and uncover deeper parts of myself over time. And so I think it's imperative that we learn to hold tension, that we learn To linger a little bit longer in the space after the question, but before the answer, because that's where our deepest and most profound learning can take place. And I'm not saying this just because it, quote, saved me from being an atheist. I don't think there's anything wrong with being an atheist or an agnostic. I think those are perfectly fine, wonderful ways to live. Um, It just wasn't right and fully authentic for me. And I think I would have realized that eventually, but it probably would have taken me a lot longer had I not accepted that invitation to hold space for myself. And so I want to talk about what it actually looks like to hold space. What does it look like to embrace tension? How do we do it? As any good content creator, I've broken it down into three easy steps that you can purchase for $29.99. I'm kidding. Uh, Obviously, it's free for now. But I do have three simple steps. I'm sure there are more that I could break this down into, um, but three is a nice palatable number, and so that's what we're going to go with today. So the first step to holding tension in your life, in your family, or in your organization is to be honest with yourself. Don't pretend you're comfortable when you aren't. Being honest allows you to unpack what is making you uncomfortable, and it allows you to begin naming the desires, motivation, or concerns that are at play for you or others. And so it's imperative that we are honest with ourselves when we're trying to hold tension. Number two, recognize and affirm uneasiness. This can be your own uneasiness as well as that of others, especially if you're in a family system or an organization. Now, if you're the leader of an organization, it is really imperative that you name your own uneasiness first and get to the root of that uneasiness, get to the root of what is causing your discomfort. Name that, hold it, and know it, and invite other leaders to do the same. And then you can move out and begin to name know and understand the uneasiness of the people that you're leading. Those could be your congregants, they could be your employees, whomever. But you've got to start with yourself first and then work your way out. Otherwise, your blind spots will cripple the growth process for you and everyone else involved. And finally, we must make space for the quiet. There's a story in the Hebrew Bible that illustrates this point really well. After the prophet Elijah has just finished slaughtering the false prophets of Baal, which I'll admit is terribly problematic, but we're gonna put that aside for the moment. After he slaughters them, he gets word that the queen of Israel, Jezebel, is coming to take his life, and so he gets scared. He flees on foot and finds his way into the mountains and eventually into a cave. While in this cave, Elijah, understandably, wants God to speak to him. And so he's waiting to hear God's voice. There's a violent earthquake that shakes the ground, but the scripture says God wasn't in the earthquake. There's this mighty wind that whips the trees and whips the rocks into a frenzy, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there's this great fire that comes up, but God wasn't in the fire. Finally, Elijah steps out of the cave, and he hears a silence. And that's when God spoke. And I think... That is so profound because a lot of times, especially those like myself that came up in a more charismatic faith tradition, we can get caught up in looking for God in the extravagant, in looking for God in the miraculous, in looking for God in the things that are loud and flashy, that we forget more often than not the voice of God, the voice of Sophia wisdom, the voice of the spirit is found in the quiet moments. God is known in the stillness because god speaks from within us so i say all that to say as you are working on holding tension you've got to have space where you quiet yourself space where you listen because we can neither hear ourselves nor the spirit when we're surrounded by perpetual noise and distraction so to review if you are trying to hold tension in your life or for your family or organization You have to be honest with yourself you have to recognize and affirm uneasiness both within yourself and within others and you've got to create and enter quiet spaces so you can listen for that whisper within you friends i know that holding tension is incredibly difficult because all any of us want to do is to be comfortable All we want to do is feel safe and secure, and sometimes holding tension requires us to sit still when it seems as though our entire worlds are crumbling down. And that is terrifying, and that is incredibly difficult. But as someone who has done that work many times, I assure you, it is also necessary. Alright friends, thanks for listening this week as we talk about what it means to hold tension. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and leave a rating on this podcast. That will help others find it. And I would really appreciate it. For those of you that have left ratings already, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Uh, And if you have not yet done so, please, after you're done listening to this, again, hit subscribe and leave me a rating. That would mean the world to me. Secondly, I am really excited to announce that I'm going to be creating a new mini-series within this podcast called Normal Narratives. Now the idea here is that I will create shorter episodes, probably 12 to 15 minutes, and I'll be inviting others on to help them share their stories, to help unpack specific narrative moments from their life. Because I believe there is power and wisdom in everybody's story, but I also believe most of us don't think we're important enough or special enough or have anything noteworthy to share. and. I feel like part of my call, part of my place in this world is to help other people recognize the beauty in their stories and to create space to share and amplify those voices. And so I want to do that with this podcast. So I'll be reaching out to some of you to see if you're interested in participating in this normal narrative series. However, if I don't reach out to you, but you are interested, please feel free to contact me first. I don't want to exclude anyone, and I think everyone has power in their stories. So if you're interested at all, please contact me. You can do so on any of my social media platforms, or you can email me at benjaminjtapper at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. And if you're listening to this and you are scared shitless and thinking to yourself, there is no way in hell that is for me, There is no way anyone wants to hear what I have to say or would care at all about my story. I have some news for you. You're probably exactly the person that needs to participate in this. In fact, this might even be created just for you. Yes, you, the one listening right now thinking it's not you, it's definitely you. So please, even if you're terrified, just reach out to me and we can have a conversation about if this might be a good fit or it might not be. A conversation is not a commitment. So if you're curious, terrified, or enthused, reach out to me, email me, hit me up on social media. I would love to have you participate, or at least talk to you about participating in this Normal Narrative series. Finally, as I mentioned earlier, we do have some awesome interviews coming up in the coming weeks with Isaac Villegas and Maeve O'Byrne, and I am just thrilled to have these two amazing people on this podcast. They've got very unique perspectives to share, and I think you're gonna learn a lot from them and really appreciate the work that they're doing in the world. So there's yet another reason why you should subscribe to this podcast. That way you know you aren't gonna miss out on new episodes and new interviews when they drop. All right, that's all I've got for you this week. I hope that you think about the ways in which you can be holding tension in your life, within your family, or within your organization. Remember to be honest, recognize and affirm uneasiness, and make quiet space so you can listen for the voice of wisdom. This has been Episode 7 of the Invisible Truths Podcast. I'm Ben Tapper.